thank you, Ted, for shepherding us in the Word. Danny, thank you for shepherding us as well. I'm always grateful for the songs that are chosen and the prayers that are given to us. And um, Our hearts break at this time for the community in Buffalo, New York. And uh, we are reminded as well for communities around the world, not just in Buffalo, New York, that are ravaged by the darkness and evil of this world. These events, they challenge our hearts in a world that really denies evil until it shows up on our doorstep. And until the Lord brings to our attention, we do indeed live in a world of darkness and we so desperately need not a temporary light. We need the light of God's Word. And we're so thankful and grateful to the Lord that we can meet together and come into the presence of Christ. It is not something to be taken lightly. And we certainly need also to pray for the young man who perpetrated those crimes in the same way that the Lord saved Saul of Tarsus. We need to pray for his salvation as well. We are not better and we are not greater. We are all totally depraved sinners. And if there's anything good in our hearts, our lives, our marriages, our families, and our church, it is only because the light of God's kingdom has dawned on us. Well, we return this morning to the God-breathed words of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 4, where God, through Matthew, has been showing us through the person and through the work of Jesus of Nazareth, what discipleship is and what being a disciple is according to Jesus, according to God's Word. Our focus has been on discipleship, but discipleship as it is presented in God's Word and discipleship as it is presented by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as we come to God's Word, what is made abundantly clear is that a true disciple of Jesus Christ and true discipleship is really all about who Jesus is. It's not about a church program. It's not about a religious movement. It's not about a seminary education. It is ultimately about who Jesus is and it is about His presence in our lives. And without Jesus, there really is no discipleship and there are no disciples. It's as simple as that. And as we come to God's word, the testimony is, look, this is who Jesus is. It's what we sang this morning. He is the king. If Jesus is indeed the Lord and king of God's word, if indeed Jesus is the Lord and king of God's word, what we profess, right? If he indeed is Emmanuel, if He is indeed God with us. If He is indeed the Holy Son of God who has come to save His people from their sins, then a disciple is something far greater than a follower or a fan or someone who sits in church on Sunday morning. And discipleship is something far greater than a church program or a seminary class. Could I have my first slide please, AV team? According to God's word, and according to Matthew's gospel, and this is a bit of review from last week, discipleship is a life-saving, life-transforming relationship with Jesus, not as a guru or a friend, but as 
Lord and King of all. And this is a life-saving, life-transforming relationship with Jesus where Jesus personally does for sinners what sinners cannot do for themselves. What can sinners do for themselves? We can learn. We can study. We can take notes. We can grow in knowledge. We can recite creeds. We can pass seminary exams. But brothers and sisters, what we can't do is we cannot save ourselves. What we can't do, brothers and sisters, is give ourselves a new heart where we are able to behold who Jesus truly is. What we can't do is we can't grow ourselves into something that we are not. As we consider Matthew chapter 4, what does Jesus do? Well, like Simon and Andrew and James and John, we see that discipleship is about Jesus bringing sinners to life. And he brings them to life by bringing them first to repentance and faith in him. Faith in him as king and Lord. And we see that a disciple is someone whom Jesus has brought out of the kingdom of darkness. And he has brought them into his kingdom of light. Kingdom, meaning the realm in which he rules supreme. The realm in which his authority and power is ultimately in charge of everything. A disciple is someone who Jesus has come and taken them out of their lives and he has made them a part of his life and his ministry. And he's done so according to God's word. As you read the Apostle Paul, you read through his epistles over and over and over again. You see this testimony over and over again. I've been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live, I live by faith. For who? Not myself. Not my career. Not my education. It's a life that's lived for the one who gave his life for me and who loves me. It's a completely different life. And as we consider that, What is the proof of true discipleship? It's a new life of enduring obedience to all that Christ has commanded. It's a new life of enduring obedience to all that Christ has commanded. So it's not enough just to say, I know this, I know this, I know this. It's not enough to say, I can recite the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed, or I've been through the fundamentals of the faith. The real testimony of that transformed life where Christ is truly present, more than just having sat in the seminary class, is this enduring obedience to everything that Christ commands, even if it means leaving everything that you have in order to follow Him. Friends, family, work, whatever it is that holds us back, including our sin, from following Jesus. And if we haven't crossed that line, then we have to say, are we truly a disciple? Has our life been saved and transformed? Is Christ really present? Well, Jesus says... If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he says in John 15, if we abide in him, he's going to bring fruit in our lives. He makes that promise. So either Jesus is a liar or he speaks the truth. Discipleship is the way in which Jesus brings us into this transformed life that submits and separates and sacrifices everything we have to Jesus as King and Lord of all. And it's a life that becomes dependent on Jesus for absolutely everything. 
As I said, that's not a life that you can purchase or learn. Discipleship according to God's word is not a work of man. And this is where we fall down as a church frequently because we focus on all the things that we need to do to make disciples. That's in our mission statement, right? We're here to make disciples of Jesus Christ. How do we do it? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I'm making disciples because I'm doing all of these different things. But brothers and sisters, as we come to God's word, we see it's a supernatural work of God that changes a heart and a life, that turns it 180 degrees, that brings light where there's darkness. And there's no work of man that can do that because, like Jesus' name, salvation is from the Lord. And so this is really our our big truth for today. That discipleship according to God's word is a supernatural work of God in Christ. And we belittle it and diminish it and we get confused and disappointed when we make it about what we do And we're unable to see the beauty and the grace and the goodness of what God is doing. And when someone's life is transformed, we say, well, it's not enough. Do we have A, B, C, D, and E? Do we have the godly marriage? Do we have the godly spouse? Do we have the the big church? Do we have all of these different visible things? And we diminish the miracle of what it is when Christ comes in and he takes a sinner and he gives them a new heart and a new life and he makes them a child of God and he fills his heart and life with the love of God. When you think about all those standards by which we all, myself included, get discouraged by and we measure, and you go to Christians living in the rest of the world, it's horrific because we say, well, you're not really true disciples because you don't have all the good things that we have in America, in American Christianity. Well, we see the beauty of the gospel, not true. And this is why the Apostle Paul points to the fact that the gospel... And the gospel in the local church is a mighty work of God's spirit and his word. That's why he says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek Well, our focus last week is what is discipleship and what is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Our focus this morning is how specifically does Jesus accomplish this supernatural work in our lives? Is it just pie in the sky? How does Jesus make disciples? How does Jesus make us disciples? And therefore, how are we to be making disciples ourselves? And the big truth is Jesus makes disciples through the work of His Spirit and His Word in us. That's the supernatural work of God. The work of God's Spirit and His Word in you. That is how the Lord has ordained that a supernatural work will happen in your heart that will change you from being a sinner to a saint. That will change you from being a disobedient and bitter and hateful or resistant person to someone Like the Apostle Paul, who though he is in chains, his delight and joy is that the gospel and the good news is going out and the saints are being loved and taken care of. And in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through, all the way through chapter 7, quite frankly, the Lord shows us very specifically how Jesus accomplishes this in the lives of his people then, but also how he does it now. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 
And we'll read from verse 12 to chapter 5, verse 3. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and he lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's NBA playoff season. And it's certainly something that lurks in some of our minds. Maybe many of our minds. Vince, I'm still praying for a basketball ministry at the church. But it's NBA playoff season. And as you hear the podcast and you hear some of the legends, it's not infrequently you will hear A number of them talk about how basketball saved their life. How basketball took them off of the streets and out of the hood. That if it wasn't for basketball, they would likely be dead or in jail like many of their peers. And they talk about how basketball brought them into a different world and into a different life that they as black men would otherwise not have access to in a place like America. And they talk about being grateful to the game that made them and gave them the opportunity to be the best version of themselves. It's one of the reasons so often that the stories behind the sports that we watch are so engaging. It's that hope and desire that we have in all of us for a better life, aware of the ugliness of this world. But from the words of Isaiah 9 in verses 15 through 16 to the first words of Jesus' sermon on the mountain, Matthew 5.1, God shows us that according to His Word, 
Jesus is the light and he is the king of heaven. And he is the one who brings people who are dwelling in darkness and brings them out of that darkness and brings them into the light of God's kingdom. And he does this by making them his disciples. It does not happen apart from discipleship and becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. But unlike the NBA, discipleship is not about Jesus giving people with talent an opportunity to live the American dream. And many times that's how we think about discipleship. Giving people with talent an opportunity to live their dreams in the church or God's kingdom. As we saw last week, Jesus comes to people who have no spiritual talent whatsoever. In fact, as they show in the beginning of the discipleship ministry, they are a liability and stand in the way and they resist. And so we see, brothers and sisters, that discipleship is about Jesus completely changing and transforming people from sinners to saints, from fishermen to fishers of men. And how exactly does Jesus accomplish this miracle? Well, repeatedly through the scriptures, it's by the supernatural power of his spirit and his word, also known as the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ or the good news of God's word. And in verses 17 through 22, this is what brings four unholy and ignorant and uneducated fishermen to repentance and faith in Christ as their king and their Lord. They didn't have a special praise team. They didn't have a special class. They didn't have a fundamentals of the faith manual. They did not even have, God forbid, a MacArthur study Bible. And yet, Christ did the impossible in men who would go on and lead the church and change the world in and through the presence of Christ's Spirit and His Word in their lives. There are testimonies as you and I are if we are truly disciples and children of God. That Christ is alive, he is God, and the work he does in his children is nothing less than miraculous. And that brings us to our first point this morning. We just have two this morning. Our first point is that Jesus makes disciples by the work of his spirit and his word in us. Jesus makes disciples by the work of his spirit and his word in us. In John 19, 36, Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor or consul of Judea. He is on trial. He is about to be crucified. And the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, is asking him questions. And what does he say? Well, he says a truth that is often ignored by the church. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. And Jesus makes it very clear to the empire of Rome that unlike Rome, unlike Vladimir Putin, unlike the Capitol Hill vigilantes, unlike many professing Christians, the work of Christ's kingdom is not accomplished by the power and works of men, be they tanks, be they missiles, be they zip ties, whatever it is, be they political lobby groups, be they 
legal groups, be they movements or organizations, Jesus makes it clear his kingdom is not of this world. What he has accomplished and will continue to accomplish will happen on the cross and through the resurrection. And from the beginning, from Genesis 1 onwards, how does God bring light into darkness? Does he do so with a gun? Does it by his spirit and his word? And in Matthew chapter 1, how does the kingdom of heaven enter into Mary's womb and into our world? It is by God's spirit and his word. And in Matthew 2 through 4, from Jesus' birth and his baptism to the wilderness, to Galilee, what brings the light of God's kingdom into our darkness? It's God's spirit and his word. At work in and through God's Son, Jesus Christ. And if you are a true child of God, what is it that has saved you and forgiven your sins and transformed you? Praise God. It is not a pastor or a teacher or an elder. It is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the power of His Spirit and His Word, bringing the gospel into your heart and into your life. And when Scripture is talking and goes through each of these times and talks about the Spirit leading Jesus or the power of the Spirit, it's referring to the invisible and internal second person of the Trinity. And I'm going to take a moment here to talk about the Trinity and the Holy Spirit because it's something that we think we know, but many times we need to review and go back. This is a primary area of who God is according to God's Word. The Trinity is a description, not of a young girl in our church, but of the Godhead. And it is the primary area, the person of God, the work of God, and the Word of God that cults attack. So the Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, who say that they are Christians, Christian scientists, all these different folks who say they're Christian, but when you ask them and come to them on what they believe about God, they've got all these weird and distorted things about the Trinity and about the person of Jesus Christ. They're counterfeit Gospels because they attack who Jesus is. Well, the Trinity is a description from God's Word of the one true God of the Bible, who is one God but three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are one in nature, one in substance, one in essence, what's referred to as consubstantial, but eternally existing in three distinct persons. And this is what was witnessed at Jesus' baptism, where God the Father speaks, and God the Son submits, and God the Holy Spirit anoints the Son. And we see through the Trinity the perfection of God's holiness and His love and His unity. Three distinct persons who are equal and united as one in all things. It's the model, brothers and sisters, for our marriages and our families. It should be the model for our elder board and our church. Distinct people. Different roles. We look different. We talk different. We're gifted in different ways. And yet we are one and we are united in all things, not separate. And that's why division in the church is considered to be one of the greatest attacks against Christ and the gospel. And the good news of God's word as we've been going through Titus is this is where God brings us as we mature in Christ. Our superficial differences become less. 
our differences complement one another, and we're able to be united in Christ and not in ourselves. And we see this play out throughout the scriptures where God the Father ordains, God the Son reveals the Father, and God the Holy Spirit executes or carries out the will and word of God the Father. And so throughout the scriptures from Genesis onwards, everything that God wills and ordains, everything that he's written in his word, the one who carries it out and makes it possible and brings it to fulfillment is the Holy Spirit. And he does so in and through the person of Jesus Christ who reveals the fullness of God's love to us. It is a beautiful symphony of God's holiness and his love. And brothers and sisters, this is what makes disciples. This is the beauty of disciple making. And that's why when we reduce disciple making to a program or an event, we lose sight of the greatness of the God who is at work in us and the beauty and goodness of who he is and what he's all about. Making disciples, brothers and sisters, and our salvation is a work of the Trinity. Everyone is involved. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when He saves you as a disciple, the fellowship He brings you into is the fellowship of the Trinity. That perfect love. If you have your Bibles, have a look, please, at Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. This is what Paul refers to in Titus 3. He says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God our Savior appeared. The goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of what? Works done by us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of what? Who? Let me hear you say it. The Holy Spirit. We didn't clean ourselves up. I've got nothing to boast that I'm better than that man who went and shot people in Buffalo. If there's anything good in me, it's because the Holy Spirit came in from God the Father and cleaned Mark Chin's heart and washed me and renewed me and made me something other than what I was. A hateful and bitter and discontent and ugly sinner whom He poured out on us richly, this is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through who? One way. One way through Jesus Christ our Savior. You're not going to receive the Holy Spirit through anyone else. This is God's work, brothers and sisters, according to His gospel. And so as we come back to Matthew chapter 4, God is showing us what this gospel work looks like in the lives of the first disciples. He shows us, and he shows us blow by blow, how Jesus goes about doing the work of the Spirit and pouring his word into the lives of sinners and transforming them into saints and bringing them into his kingdom. Have a look, please, if you would, at verse 23. Could I have my next PowerPoint slide, please? In this verse, which is really a synopsis of what comes before and a foundation for all that follows in Jesus' gospel ministry, the Lord showing us how he brings the gospel into our lives through the ministry of Jesus. It says, verse 23, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming 
the gospel or the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. This is how God's Spirit and His Word made disciples in and through Jesus' ministry. This is how the light of God's kingdom comes into the region of Galilee. How does it happen? There's an overarching initiative and action that happens. And he went throughout all Galilee. That's the overarching action of what Jesus is doing. He is going out and he is seeking sinners personally. He doesn't say, here's my school in Jerusalem. Here's my school in Rome. Here's my school in Los Angeles. You fly in and come in and come be with me. No, Jesus goes throughout Galilee, the darkest region. And he goes person to person and he goes synagogue to synagogue and he goes after sinners. In love, he pursues and he chooses. This is the mercy and grace of our God. And how does he pursue sinners? He does so according to God's written word, Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. And he does so by the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why in Luke's gospel, in Luke 4, 14, Luke explicitly says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. He's talking about this ministry of Jesus. He's not doing it on his own. Jesus never acts independently of the Spirit, and he never acts independently of God's Word. I tell my boys this repeatedly. I don't care whether they're a pastor or a pope. They can talk all they want about religion if they are not obedient to God's Word. If they are not following the commands of God's word, stay as far away from them as you possibly can. Jesus is not an innovator. Jesus is not creative, developing a new way to reach disciples. Jesus is always fulfilling God's word with God's spirit. It is always the love and the unity of the Trinity. It is always submission to God's will. And we see that throughout Jesus' gospel ministry, this pursuit of lost sheep, this making disciples according to God's word and his spirit involves three standard gospel activities that are listed in this verse. These are three gospel spirit-led activities that Jesus builds his ministry and discipleship making around. And the first is the teaching or the exposition of God's word in their synagogues. That's what that word in Greek, teaching is. Exposition. The explanation of God's word in their synagogues. A synagogue is the Greek word for assembly or gathering. Also known as the ecclesia. The church. And it developed in exile when the children of Israel were booted out of the promised land. And they were barred and the temple was destroyed. The temple, the place of worship or sacrifice of the Lord. And as they're scattered in Babylon and Assyria and Egypt, faithful Jews would gather together on the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, to do what? To listen and hear the exposition of God's Word. And when you go to the buildings that house the synagogues, the place of gathering you will see that the doors typically were designed to face towards Jerusalem, reminding them of the temple and the presence of God. And central to the synagogue was something that was called an ark, a container, like Noah's ark. And in the container or the ark is the Torah or the scroll or the written word of God. And at the moment they're singing and praising and then the scrolls are brought out and everybody looks up to the scrolls and people will reach out. They will try and touch it. Because why? In the exile, the conviction was it is through God's word after the destruction of the temple that God makes his presence known among his people. 
And as they gathered faithfully to hear the word of God, the intent was not academic, to become a scholar. The intent as they lived in exile and darkness is to hear the word of God so that they could understand what God's will is for them. How do we be faithful to God in a world of darkness? We need to come under his word. We need to hear it regularly. We want to hear the voice of God speaking to us, showing us how we walk with him in a world of darkness. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was a Bible expositor. And he would travel throughout Galilee and go to the synagogues, the places where Jews gathered, and he would explain God's word to show them God's will for them and how it was being fulfilled in their presence. But that is not all that Jesus did. And why did Jesus do that? Why does he begin and why first is it teaching in the exposition of God's word? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 10, 17. He says, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. The power to save comes from God's spirit and his word being spoken into our lives. It does not come from us. And then Jesus goes on from teaching God's word to the preaching of God's word. Jesus' teaching of God's word is never separate from his preaching or his proclamation of the gospel kingdom. This is the second work in the Holy Spirit's making of disciples. Now what's the difference between teaching and preaching? The word for preaching or proclamation in Greek is keruso. It refers to a royal proclamation of the king's herald. It is not an explanation. It is not a teaching. It is not a debate. It is a proclamation. It is a king's life or death ultimatum or command to his subjects. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. This is what king so-and-so says. If you don't do it, you're going to die. So in the Old Testament, in Daniel 3.4, these words in the Hebrew are used. It says in Daniel 3.4, And the herald, the kerex in Greek, proclaimed... Caruso, aloud, you are commanded, O peoples. And this is making reference to when Nebuchadnezzar built this statue and said, you're all going to bow down to it because this is my statue. This is who I am. I'm God around here. And if you don't bow down, I'm going to kill you. But you can have mercy and grace if you obey what I do and show your loyalty and allegiance that you're part of my kingdom and I'm your king. And you will enjoy all the benefits and blessings of the kingdom. Now, I'm not saying God is like King Nebuchadnezzar. What I am saying is King Nebuchadnezzar is a very twisted and dark Vladimir Putin version trying to imitate God. The point here is that preaching is a proclamation that calls the subjects of the king to obey something specific. And we see in this way how teaching and preaching go hand in hand. Teaching, the exposition of God's word, the explanation of God's will, is not just here for your learning so you walk out, oh, I know better what God wants me to do. I know more about God. I know so much about God. I know so much about Jesus. No, they go hand in hand and Jesus did them together because we know more about God so that we know how to love him and serve him and obey him. And if we never obey him, and when we never do what he asks, 
then all we are is being prideful academics. And I say this over and over again, guys, because as Asians, that's where we go. We have our daily devotionals. We have our normal Bible readings. And the propensity in our heart is to treat it like we're studying for a medical exam. Check, 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 check. And we walk out and we think, I'm walking well with Christ. And our lives bear no reflection. Well, Jesus comes and says, hey, this is who God is. This is what he requires of you. And you need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to turn from your sin specifically and run to Christ. You need to obey. And if you do, you will receive mercy and grace and forgiveness. But if you don't, you're going to stand beneath the wrath and judgment of God. Preaching demands a right response to trust and obey God's word and very specifically to trust and obey Jesus as Lord. And the third and final, the third and final work of God's word and spirit in and through the Messiah is the healing of every disease and affliction. This word healing in the Greek is therapeuo, from which we get therapeutic. It originally meant not to heal, it originally meant to serve and to care, especially for someone who is broken or hurting. And next week we're going to deal with this in more detail and address the issue of Jesus' miraculous ministry. Why we don't do signs and wonders today. We'll address that next week, Lord willing. But The principle behind this is the Spirit's holistic care and restoration of God's people, according to God's Word. The Spirit's holistic care and restoration of God's people, according to God's Word. It's God, through His Spirit, rebuilding His people's lives, according to His Word. And when we tie all these three things together, these three activities... How does Jesus pour the light and love of God's kingdom into the lives of sinners? How does he bring them to faith and repentance in him as Lord and King? How does he make disciples? It's through the Spirit-led teaching of God's word. It's through the Spirit-led preaching of the gospel. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's through the Spirit-led Psalm 23 shepherding in care of God's people. And it's not a one and done, brothers and sisters. As we go to Matthew 9.35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages doing what? Teaching in their synagogues. And what? Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And what? Healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd pastoring. How does Jesus love his sheep and how does he pastor them? Brothers and sisters, this is the very best. You want the very best pastoring and shepherding? It's to be taught by Jesus. It's to have the gospel proclaimed. Rebukes. Mark, you're not doing this. This is not in keeping with the gospel. Yes, this is faithful. Repent. And being shepherded and cared for and being put back together and restored By the Spirit and Word of God. Then in verse 37 of Matthew 9, after Jesus says this, He said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray, non-optional command, earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. What's Jesus doing here? He's telling the disciples, This is your work. 
You need to pray for others to be made disciples like you to go out and teach the word of God, preach the gospel, and share and, excuse me, shepherd and care for my sheep in the way I do. Brothers and sisters, this is the supernatural work of God, the gospel ministry that God has given the local church. And this is what changes lives. And this is the way in which Christ makes himself known and his presence is given to us. And this brings us to our final point for this morning. Jesus loves and makes disciples through the faithful teaching and preaching and shepherding of local churches that are filled with his spirit and his word. Jesus loves and makes disciples through the faithful teaching, preaching, and shepherding of local churches that are filled with his spirit and his word. How do you experience Jesus today? He's not physically present. He's died. He is alive. He's with the Father. Do we just have a warm feeling in our hearts? Do we just think nice thoughts? Do we get together for a funeral memorial to remember a good person and his words? Well, as we come to God's word, Jesus himself makes it very, very, very clear. He is still present with his people. He still teaches them. He still preaches the gospel. And he still loves them and cares for them as his own. How does he do it? He does it through disciples who are filled with his spirit and his word, who act as his ambassadors and his representatives, who do not work or serve themselves, but they are doing his work according to his word by the power of his spirit. Have a look, if you would, please, at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We are familiar with this, right? This is the mission statement of our church. And this takes place after Jesus has risen from the grave. And he's gathered his disciples together after his crucifixion. And it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you, the power and presence of Jesus, right? I am with you always to the end of the age. Now you know this. This is the Great Commission, right? Is it a list of things for us to do? It's a promise where Jesus promises and proclaims that his power, his authority, his presence will continue in and through the lives of his disciples. Those who are obedient to observe all that he has commanded. Those who carry out his ministry. Baptizing. Baptizing, when you go through scripture in the New Testament. Baptizing. The implication and the necessity of baptizing always is calling people to repentance. You're not right with God. You need to come to Jesus as your Lord and King for the forgiveness of your sins. Be baptized and repent, right? So baptism implicitly is about the preaching of the gospel. And then he talks about teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Carry on this ministry of the Spirit and the Word and bring me to people who do not know me, who are lost in their sin and so desperately need to be made disciples. 
Brothers and sisters, the entirety of church ministry is about bringing Christ, every Bible study, every ministry, every parking duty is about bringing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to others. And how do we do that? Well, when Christ is in us and we're walking in His Spirit and we're filled with His Word, we do it. And what's worth noticing in the Grace Commission is, Great Commission, excuse me, what's missing? For some reason, Jesus makes no mention of miraculous healing in the Great Commission. He simply makes reference to baptizing and teaching. And as you walk through Acts and you go to the epistles, you see that Jesus promises that His presence will be with His local church. And His promise and His making of disciples is fulfilled in local churches that are filled with His Spirit and His Word. And what's the proof or evidence of the presence of Christ's Spirit and His Word in the local church? How do you know if you go to a church? Well, this is a church that's filled with Christ's Spirit and His Word. It's a church that observes and obeys all that Christ has commanded. It is a church that is faithful in the teaching of God's Word, the preaching of the Gospel, and the shepherding of God's children according to His Word. And this is how Jesus continues this day, to love and make disciples, and to be present with the people of God. And so this is why in Acts 9.4, Jesus appears to Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul has been putting Christians in jail. And what does Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Saul's going to all these little local churches and he's taking disciples and he's throwing them in jail and he's trying to get them killed and he's having them whipped and flogged. What's that got to do with Jesus? Jesus says, hey, as you're doing it to them, my presence, my spirit, I'm personally there. You are doing it to me. And this is why in First and Second Timothy and Titus, the priority in the local church is leadership that is filled with God's Spirit and His Word. That exemplify Christ's character, that show the fruit of the Spirit, and that are faithful to teaching God's Word, to proclaiming the Gospel, that includes rebuking and affirming, and taking care of and shepherding the local flock. So we read in Titus 1.9, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. This is how Jesus loves his disciples. This is who qualifies as a leader or an elder of the church. 1 Timothy 4.15, Until I come, devote yourself to what? The public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. Why? For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. 2 Timothy 4.1 I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. What? Set up a children's program. Set up a young marrieds and singles program. By his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Brothers and sisters, what's the good news of the gospel? 
Christ has come to you. And he has come to you through his good news, through the gospel. He's come to you through the teaching of his word, through the preaching of the gospel, and through the shepherding of his sheep in the local church. And so we can rejoice. And as we gather together, we bear witness. Christ is indeed risen. He's risen indeed. There is a miracle in our midst. And it doesn't have to be that you're healed of all your diseases. The miracle, which is the greatest miracle of all, is that God has raised his son from the dead. And he has begun to raise you from the dead by giving you a new heart and the capacity to obey and love someone who you previously hated. Church leadership, elders and deacons, discipleship group leaders. Is this who you are? Are you filled with God's spirit and his word? Husbands, is this who you are? Filled with God's spirit and his word. Proclaiming the gospel to your children and to your wife. Shepherding gently and graciously and pointing them back to Christ. And showing them that their greatest need, God has already given it to them. A house filled with joy regardless of the circumstances because Christ is enough and he is present where his word is spoken, where the spirit is present and the word and the spirit are doing a work which the world cannot recognize or appreciate. Brothers and sisters, are you disciples? Are you coming under the teaching and preaching of God's word and the shepherding in your local church? And I'm going to give you a few specifics. A podcast and a sermon series is not enough. I've shared this with a brother this week. Lovingly, I understand. We get busy. Things are a lot in our plate. We think of all the different things that we have to do. Many of them related to the service of the church. But brothers and sisters... The bottom line is there's no substitute for the word of God within the context of the local church. That's why God created the local church. And when we're listening to these things, these things are good and helpful. But those people who preach those podcasts, they're not witnessing your life on a daily basis. And you can walk away from that podcast saying, I know A, I know B, I know C, I know so much more about the Lord than I knew before. But nobody's watching your life and saying, yeah, but I'm seeing a life that looks completely different from this. Just want to bring you to, to your attention. Maybe there's a blind spot here. And maybe there are things that you need to come to the Lord and just really consider with hope, seeing that Christ is able to change you through the power of His Spirit and His Word. Brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel is that everything you need to grow in Christ, everything that you need to walk with Him, the fullness of His love, Though he is not physically present with us, until he comes again, he has given us through his gospel. And so the challenge for us, leadership, is this what the church is about? And are we satisfied? And is it enough? It's not to say that there's not a place for basketball and volleyball and picnics and a children's ministry. We should have those things. I pray for those things. But when that becomes the focus or a substitute and the teaching and the preaching of God's word and the gospel falls by the wayside, brothers and sisters, it's no longer a church. We're no longer disciples. Christ is no longer there. And brothers and sisters, for us, I'm not going to repeat on a regular basis. You need to be in the word on a daily basis. 
And you need to come and read the word on a daily basis and come under it. And as you read it, consider how is God showing me his will today? And how does he want me to obey? Where is he calling me to repent? Because unless you're Jesus and you're completely perfect, there are probably things in your life that God wants to work on and change out of love for you. But as we go and we talk to guys, it's amazing from all different levels. It's like, when was the last time you read the Word of God? What did you read? Don't call yourself a disciple. Don't call yourself a disciple. Because you're not coming under the Word and you're not walking with Christ. But the good news is you can repent over that and say, look, the Word of the Lord is second or third or fourth in my life. Work and these other things are first. Father, forgive me because I haven't loved you and honored you for who you are. Jesus, I haven't esteemed that you are King and Lord. I don't think of your word as life or death for my family. All of these other things are more important. Forgive me and he will forgive you and he will give you a new heart and a new life. Why is it hard? Galatians 5 tells us. Because the flesh wages war against the spirit. The spirit wants to draw you into that fellowship with Christ. He wants you to have the sweetness of God's love and his goodness. He wants you to be free of guilt and shame. But the flesh wants to pull you back into the darkness of the world. So it is a bitter battle. But brothers and sisters, if we're never in the word and we're not praying and we're not there consistently like Daniel, three times a day in the Babylonian kingdom praying, If we're not there, we have to say one of two things. Either the flesh is ruling my life, or I'm not a disciple. But you can be. Is Jesus your Lord and King? Is your life part of His? The teaching and the preaching of the gospel and the caring and the shepherding for those who are precious to him, his disciples. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, you are the disciple maker. Thank you that everything we need, you have given us in your gospel. Help us, Lord Jesus, to live it, to enjoy it, to celebrate it, and to embrace what you died To give us. In your name we pray. Amen.